when we see the justice system work for them, the law degree has never meant more. We're not just lawyers, but we're individuals who love to give back. And how can we use our law degree for something that is, as you said earlier, more than just a job, something that is honorable and helps make this a better place? Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrosi coming to you from Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and also co-host another Legal Talk Network program called Law Technology Now, that one with Monica Bay. My co-host on this program, Craig Williams, is away on business today and unable to be with us. Before we get to today's topic, let me just take a moment to thank our sponsors, who we very much appreciate, Clio and Latera. Clio of course, has a cloud-based practice management software program that makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. And Latera is the authority on document creation, collaboration, and control. Increase your productivity, collaborate securely, and ensure protection of your vital information. Learn more at www.latera.com. Well, former U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno once said, quote, being a lawyer is not merely a vocation, it is a public trust, and each of us has an obligation to give back to our communities. So as we uh, approach the holiday season, we thought it would be a good opportunity here on Lawyer to Lawyer to talk to some of the lawyers who give back in various ways and, and hear how they do it and share some of their stories. So Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to spotlight three attorneys who uh, are giving back in, in their own different ways to their communities, not just during this holiday season, but year-round as, as part of what they do. And we have three great guests with us today. So let me uh, introduce each of them, and when we'll hear more about what each of them does. So let me start today with Jesse Kornberg, an attorney and the president and CEO of Bet Zedek, a respected public interest law firm in Los Angeles, California. Jesse's tenure has seen the agency grow to address the most pressing legal issues facing low-income families, including the nation's first transgender medical legal partnership, Los Angeles' first low-income tax and small business startup clinics, and a family preparedness program to respond to growing concerns surrounding the deportation of undocumented parents. Jesse Kornberg, uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer. Thank you. So glad to be here. Also joining us today is Shamika T. Askew-Storé, the owner and managing attorney of the Storé Advocacy Group located in Brandon, Florida. Shamika has a passion for serving. She's a volunteer attorney guardian ad litem. She also mentors at-risk juvenile girls by visiting juvenile facilities on a monthly basis. Shamika Askew-Storé, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer to You. Thank you so much. It's an honor. And finally, joining us today is attorney Ricky Patel, partner with the firm Farrell Patel, 
Joe Moran Lopez. Mr. Patel is uh, extremely charitable in his spare time, holding leadership positions, donating over 1,500 hours of community service and investing funds in charities such as Habitat for Humanity, the Violence Against Women's Act, Haitian Orphanage, Fashion Gives Back, Puerto Rico Relief, St. Thomas University School of Law, American Red Cross, and the Nicholas Children's Hospital, where he serves as vice chair of the board of trustees. Welcome to the show, Ricky Patel. Thank you very much for having me. Jesse Kornberg, I want to start with you and ask if you could tell us about Betzedek, what it is, what kinds of work it does. Absolutely. So we're based here in Los Angeles, and we provide free legal services to residents of L.A. County who can't afford a lawyer. We've been here in L.A. for almost 45 years. We started out on a storefront on Fairfax Avenue, which is in the center of the traditional Jewish community here in L.A. We were founded by a group of volunteer lawyers and rabbis who saw a need in the community there around Fairfax, an aging population, folks who were getting evicted from their homes as the area redeveloped, stories like that. And very quickly after um, opening their doors for their first Wednesday night walk-in clinic, realized that the need for legal services extended far beyond the community there and quickly decided that there needed to be a legal services provider for Los Angeles, for all of the neighborhoods of L.A., for all of the people in L.A. who could not afford a lawyer um, but needed one to ensure access to the basic necessities of life. So 45 years later... I have 70 lawyers here at Betsedic, 2,000 volunteers throughout the community, 30,000 clients a year in 15 different areas of poverty law, everything from earned income tax credit filings to eviction defense to benefits eligibility, helping disabled adults put in place long-term caregiving solutions, helping abandoned and neglected children find safe homes and helping Holocaust survivors file claims against the German government for reparations. So the work is incredibly exciting, but very demanding. Um, We have very significant immigrant communities in Los Angeles, and the last year has seen a huge uptick in the need for services for those folks. And so we are always trying to make sure that we have resources available for whatever the most urgent and otherwise unmet needs are in our low-income and underserved communities throughout the city. I know this is a difficult time for legal services programs anywhere to find funding. Uh, There have been cutbacks in IOLTA funds across the country. There have been cutbacks in other funding sources. How do you fund the services that you're providing? Yeah, we have a mix of sources of funding. About 20% of our revenue comes from government contracts. Most of those dollars do start at the federal government and pass through our local agencies here. And we see those dollars as particularly vulnerable right now. Proposed cuts to funding across the board would certainly affect the dollars we receive through the Older Americans Act, the Victims of Crime Act, and the Violence Against Women Act. Fortunately, we have other revenue streams from private philanthropy, individuals in our community, family foundations, and other large philanthropic institutions prioritize social justice and support our work. And so we hope to weather the storm um, because we know that the cuts to legal services will be matched uh, in cuts to all kinds of other aid that our clients need desperately. So the need for legal services will only increase even as government funding for legal services decreases. 
Shamika, let me turn to you and ask you about the work you do mentoring at-risk juvenile girls to begin with. How did you get started with that, and, and what are you doing there? So I've been a member of Love First Christian Center for a little over two years, and as a member of Love First Christian Center, they made an announcement on a particular Sunday about the need for mentors to young adults who are in juvenile facilities. And so when I heard about it, I immediately thought this would be a great opportunity for me to give back because I've been a mentor for quite some years. So after that Sunday, I signed up. I went through all of the application and background checks. And from there, in 2015, I was matched with a mentee. And the mentees I have mentored have ranged from the ages of 15 to 17. Unfortunately, these young girls are getting into trouble in the legal system. And unfortunately, in the legal system, they are cutting themselves, they are getting into more trouble with the girls, and just having a hard time coping with life. So I have been involved for over two years now, and I provide, you know, stability, love, and consistency, some of the things that these young girls do not see often because they come from foster care, and some of them are actually adopted and others aren't. So I've been involved in the Tampa area for, like I said, two years now. Is this work in which you're drawing on your skills as an attorney, or is it just more general kind of mentoring? This is actually just general mentoring. I have been mentoring for two years, but I've only been licensed in the state of Florida for a little over a year. It'll be two years in April of 2018. So I found out about this work just as a member of my church, and I just have a passion to serve. So it's not related to my work at all. It's something that I do on a volunteer basis. I actually meet with my current mentee at least once a week. If I don't see her face-to-face, then I try to send a card or a letter. So this is separate from being an attorney. It's just a passion of mine. And you also do work as a volunteer guardian ad litem. Can you tell us about that? Of course. So the Guardian at Lightem program is a program that was established to ensure that children's interests are represented. Unfortunately, these children are taking out of their homes, whether they're with mom and dad or with mom or dad. And so they're placed in the foster care system most times. Some are placed with a relative And unfortunately, the circumstances involve them being abused, abandoned, or neglected. And so I saw that there was a need for attorneys as well as just people in the community to help out. I actually was gained an interest in this area as a young girl because I have a relative that had her five children taken away when I was very young, and I didn't understand it at the time. And now that I'm older and I'm licensed to practice, I see that there are things that occur in our lives that happens and we make mistakes. So I just felt like what a great opportunity to be involved in children's lives again and provide that stability, that love, and any resources that the foster care parents or the relative caretaker needs, then I will ensure that those needs are being met through the Guardian Ad Litem program. So it's been a great program. I've been involved with this since about 2016, and it's worthwhile. I see the children every month. And actually this month I'll be taking two gifts to each child to fill their Christmas with love and just know that they are cared for, although they're in the foster care system. Ricky Patel, uh, last but not least here, I I would like to turn to you. And as I said earlier, uh, you donate 
it looks like huge numbers of hours uh, of your time to community service work. Tell us a little bit about about what you're doing outside the nine to five of practicing law or or eight to six or whatever it might be for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish uh, the, the practice was nine to five. So I'm uh, <laughs> one of the founding partners here at Farrell Patel, Jermaine Lopez. Uh, we founded the law firm uh, after graduating from law school. We graduated pretty much when the economy collapsed. So it was a sink or swim situation. One of the things that we started doing was taking on any cases that came through the door so we could pay the bills. After, I would say, about a year, year and a half, uh, we landed uh, one of the largest class actions in U.S. history, which changed the perspective of the firm and allowed us to have a little bit more flexibility. And one of the things that the partners agreed on was we wanted to make sure that we were making an impact both with our resources and with our law degrees. That shaped a lot of the firm to the types of cases that we handle, which is one part of the story. We take on cases where individuals do not have uh, adequate representation. Uh, We've recently, uh, the past few years, been handling cases involving Title IX, which involves young women in college who have been raped and have not been afforded the ability to continue their education. Uh, We've been involved in that. We've been involved with uh, going against pharmaceutical companies that have harmed babies, just any opportunity to help out those that are seeking justice and don't have the representation. As far as the charitable aspect, I'm the vice chairman of the now Nicholas Children's Hospital here in Miami, Florida. One of the things that I thought was very important was to go ahead and help out, once again, the individuals that can't protect themselves and who better to help out than children. So we started uh, initially making contributions, which led to spending a little bit of time helping, which has turned to spending about 50% off my time dealing with the hospital, the board, and any activities to not just raise awareness, but to go and spend time with the children that aren't able to leave the hospital or find ways to get adequate treatment. And it's it's been a pleasure. As of recently, it's now turned from the children's hospital to also as you've seen with the the hurricane that went through Puerto Rico, which is devastated an area. I live half the year in Puerto Rico, half the year in Miami. So we tried to help out over there. It's every year there's been some type of disaster, which has kind of dragged us in there. We Our law firm actually has our own orphanage in Haiti, too. We have 40 children over there. And instead of just funding it, I actually go there and I stay there every two months. So it's the moment I wake up till... The very second that I fall asleep, there's something going on with trying to figure out how can we get back, how can we make things better, and how can we use our law degree for something that is, as you said earlier, uh, more than just a job, something that is honorable and helps make this a better place. Well, that's really impressive. I used to practice uh, in the Virgin Islands, which was also uh, hit by that hurricane, of course, right. uh, and both both two hurricanes this this year. Exactly. Um, so I can uh, appreciate uh, the work that you do there. We need to take a short break, and we will continue this discussion in just a moment. So please stay with us while we uh, hear a message from our sponsors. Documents are the currency of business. They represent you in every business interaction. Executives need to know what changes have occurred in documents, what metadata risks exist, and how to encrypt, share, and collaborate securely. Matera simplifies the document creation and collaboration process to protect you from risk and loss of reputation. Matera offers better solutions for document lifecycle management so you can focus on doing what really matters. 
www.latera.com. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Bob Ambrogi. Joining us today is Attorney Jesse Kornberg, President and CEO of Betzadek. Attorney Shamika Askew-Storé, owner and managing attorney of the Storé Advocacy Group, and Attorney Ricky Patel, partner with the firm Farrell Patel, Joe Marone Lopez. And we are talking about lawyers giving back in various ways. And uh, Jesse, I want to circle back to you. You've talked about the work that Betzadek does in the community, and you rely uh, heavily, it sounds like, on attorneys who volunteer. And I know that you've done a lot of volunteering yourself and and a lot of community service work over the course of your career. I understand the value to the community. I think that's clear. I'm wondering what the attorneys get out of doing this kind of work. What's your perspective on on the value to attorneys of of doing good things and, and providing pro bono services in their communities? Yeah. Well, I think there are a couple of benefits. I think very practically, we see a lot of uh, law firm lawyers encourage their junior associates to volunteer with us because we will give them an opportunity to get hands-on experience working directly with clients, conducting interviews, gathering facts, and then presenting them both in briefing and in oral argument to a court much faster than a typical defense-side large law firm context uh, might provide. And so those law firms benefit um, because their folks are getting great training from us and great exposure to the practice. Those associates benefit because they're gaining those skills and getting to engage in community work. And, of course, we benefit and our clients benefit because they're receiving excellent legal representation under our supervision. So there is that practical benefit for all concerned. I also think as a person who has engaged in social justice work and community work most of my career, uh, it's hard to quantify the meaning and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that comes with putting your legal degree to use in a way that so dramatically improves your client's experience, right? I mean, we all go to law school for one of two reasons, to change the world or at least to protect our clients, right? And that's the reason to be a lawyer, is to use the law to your client's benefit. And there is no more dramatic example of how the law can benefit a client than in the legal services context, because the stakes of litigation are always so incredibly high in our practice. I often joke with very fancy defense-side law firms that pride themselves on bet-the-company litigation that every single case at BetSedic is a bet-the-company matter because when you are at risk of losing your home or at risk of losing your job or at risk of losing the means by which you afford food and medical care, 
it is bet the company. And so we can do nothing less than the most excellent, diligent representation imaginable for each of our clients. And when we do, and when we see the justice system work for them, the law degree has never meant more. So for me, it's always been at least as self-interested as community interested because there's no better feeling about oneself than the feeling I get when I get to engage in this work and see our clients thrive and see their strength as they face these challenges in their lives. So for me, the benefits are obvious and plentiful. Well, I like to think you're right that that most lawyers went to law school in the first place because they want to uh, help clients and, and help people for the better. Uh, I'm not sure they all, all come out of law school still having that uh, that aspiration. I think sometimes uh, making money gets in the way of that. But Shamika, what about you? What's your motivation as an attorney for wanting to give back to your community in the ways that you do? For me, it's internal gratification. So I knew early on that I wanted to make a difference in the world. And what better way to do that than serving my community by giving my time and resources and also just affording the legal services that I can provide as an attorney. So, you know, I can't really speak to the other attorneys, but I do know that most of us, as it was said earlier, we went to law school to make a difference. And I just am a firm believer that it's better to give. And what better way to do that by utilizing the legal skills that I've learned and that we've all learned as attorneys to help our community. So it's gratifying knowing that every day I can get up and make a difference in the world, whether or not that's with the mentees that I mentor in the juvenile facilities or if that's the children that I visit at the foster care institutions, or whether that's with clients and helping them through their darkest times, you know, a little prayer or an encouraging word can go a long way. So for me, it's just very fulfilling. Enrique, it sounds like you're really fortunate to be in a firm of uh, like-minded attorneys who who share your commitment to uh, giving back. But it's kind of the same question to you. What's your motivation for doing this? Why do you feel it's important for you to be giving back uh, in the way that you and your partners do? I think there's two reasons behind that. I'll speak for myself. The first is we've been given a lot. I mean, I've, I've come from very, very humble beginnings, and we have been very, very successful in this field. And there's a sense of we have to make a difference. We have to be able to take this and help others as much as possible. And my second big reason is I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, two little sweet girls. And it's one of those things that I want them to grow up knowing that we made a difference. We changed things. We were able to use this law degree to create equality and give representation to those that need it. And I feel if if I can accomplish that, it will give a blueprint for what we need the next generation, the generations to do after that. And if we all just do just our part, we can try and make this messy world a little bit better. Jesse, uh, is there a story or, or anything you can share from the work at BetZedek that you think kind of exemplifies what you do or what BetZedek does for the community? Sure. I think, you know, one thing that's been really interesting to understand about the work here is the way that our lawyers are able to use knowledge and experience that they gain from working with one population and let it benefit 
so many others. I shared the story of how our agency was originally inspired by need in the Jewish community. And I'd like to share a modern-day example of how that original need in the original community that started our work continues to inspire the work for all. Um, so we still do work, as I mentioned, with Holocaust survivors, helping them claim reparations against the German government. As part of that work and wanting to be truly expert in those representations, we have taken a trauma-informed approach to our service delivery model, understanding that Holocaust survivors are victims of intense violence, survivors of war, often disabled and frequently alone without any surviving family or assets. And that experience can create lasting trauma in a person, and it means they may be less willing to ask for help, less able to engage in government bureaucratic procedures, less comfortable standing in line in environments with uniformed officers, less comfortable signing their name to legal documents or identifying themselves in government databases, and on and on. And understanding the life experience that brings someone to our doors is, I think, very important in our ability to create that trusting, you know, attorney-client relationship. And we've taken that expertise that we have gained in the Holocaust reparations context and seen how useful the same approach can be, for example, with our clients who are survivors of human trafficking. And so taking what we've learned in one context and seeing how that can translate to a benefit for so many others, for victims of domestic violence, for victims of trafficking, for other kinds of trauma has been instrumental. And I'll just give one classic example. In the last five years, there's been a large number of unaccompanied, undocumented minor children who have traveled from Central America to the United States seeking refuge from violence in their home countries. They arrive here on their own and frequently land either in homeless shelters or detention centers. And if we're able to identify a legal guardian here in the United States willing to take custody of them and prove that they're safer here than in their home country, we can actually obtain legal immigration protections for those children to remain here. We have pursued thousands of those cases over the last several years, and I just want to share the story of one of them. My staff attorney, Erickson, was representing a young woman. She came here when she was 11 from Honduras. She had no family here in the United States, but a mission in South Los Angeles had a congregant who was willing to take her in and be a legal guardian for her. We represented her in the probate court here in Los Angeles in that guardianship petition, and we faced some skepticism from the presiding judge. He argued that since at an age 11, she was strong enough and resilient enough to make the treacherous journey across the border, which for her involved 14 days in a crate underneath a truck. She was surely strong enough to make it back to her country of origin and survive there and that she didn't need the protections of a life in the United States. 
And Erickson, who has lots of experience at Betsetic working with Holocaust survivors, was able to share his experience with that population and say, look, no one has shown more resilience than the survivors that we work with who survived unimaginable hardship and terror in their home country, sought refuge in this country, and have continued to struggle to survive while here. Holocaust survivors are four times as likely to live in poverty as other seniors their age. And so despite their strength and despite their survival, they continue to live with lingering capacity and disability issues. And this child who survived the trafficking process into this country and unbelievable violence in her own country was in a similar situation and really did need the protections of a life in the United States to thrive for the rest of her childhood and into adulthood. And so it was so inspiring to me to see this advocate there that day to defend the rights of an unaccompanied immigrant child by using our reputation and our expertise and our experience with a very different population from a totally other generation and bring that to bear in this case for that child. And he was ultimately successful. And I'm happy to say that that child is now 14 and still living safely with that church member. And we're so glad that we're able to do that work on behalf of her and so many other households like hers. It's been really, um, really rewarding experience. Yeah, I can I can see how that would be very rewarding. Uh, Shamika, same question to you. I mean, is is there a, a story or anything you can share from your own uh, experience that exemplifies what makes it valuable to you and you know the work that you do? Of course. So the Story Advocacy Group PA was actually established to provide affordable and quality legal services. It was my intent and my heart's desire to meet the needs of those individuals who are representing themselves in family law matters, civil cases, et cetera. And so in doing that, I have come across several individuals who've literally cried to me and indicated that they were so fortunate and blessed to come across our firm's name and have us represent them because unfortunately they could not afford the high price retainer rates and retainer fees. And so it has been worthwhile to know that the firm is making a difference in helping those individuals who unfortunately cannot afford the free legal aid and they don't qualify for free legal aid because they make too much money and they can't afford the high price attorney. So we're meeting that middle ground, trying to close the gap and ensure that people have legal access. So that's been worthwhile for us to know that we're making a difference in that area and that we're right on track with, you know, making a difference in this world. And uh, Ricky, I'm going to, not to be redundant here, but I'm going to ask you the same question. Is there a story that uh, you want to share from your experience? Yes. So I I would go to a, a case that we've been handling for quite some time now. We have a case, once again, involving Title IX, which is the protection afforded to young women who have been raped or sexually assaulted in university. And one of uh, my clients, who is is well known in the media, LaPrice Williams, has just been, in my opinion, one of my heroes. Uh, She came forward after being one of the head coaches at the university. She was notified by over 40 young women about rapes that occurred against them. 
This is after she randomly spoke at church one day about an incident with her when she was a child. Uh, she didn't expect to speak about this, but she did. And after that, every day for months, girls were coming to her office that had never spoken about this to anyone else and were speaking about some brutal rapes that occurred. And we have been working with her side by side for quite some time to try and change some of these laws to make it so that there's more protection afforded to a lot of these girls, that there's a safe harbor, there's a place where they can come forward and speak about what happened, get the counseling they need, and help them get them back in school. Because a lot of the girls, what ends up happening is they're so afraid to speak up, they feel, instead of feeling uh, like the victim, they feel like they did something wrong. There's this whole shifting the blame of what has happened. And a lot of them end up not completing college and dropping out. And most people will never have a clue about what happened. So that's been one of my most prideful moments uh, with the law firm has been working with LaPrice and finding ways that we can take this horrific experience and change and modify laws and regulations around the country so that if this ever happens to another individual, that they are offered the protection that they need so they can get back to studying and continuing their life without things falling apart because of this travesty. We're getting near the end of the time for our show. I want to go around one more time and ask each of you to uh, kind of give your final thoughts on today's topic and also uh, let our listeners know how they can find out more about the good work you're doing and follow up with you. So with Jesse Kornberg, let me bring it back to you. Sure. I guess I want to say since the election, I talked to a lot of people who feel helpless or hopeless about what they can do to make the world the kind of place they want to live in. And I would just say that a lot of the work that Betsetic does, we were doing before this election, and we're going to do it after the next election. That poverty was here before, and social inequity was here before, and structural injustice was here before, and it's going to continue for some time. And so we need lawyers, and we need those who want to be advocates for those who don't otherwise have a voice in our justice system to step up and participate. And when you do, you will not feel hopeless or helpless, I promise. <laughs> you will feel powerful, and it's a great way to feel. Um, if you want to get involved in Los Angeles or in any of the cities across the country where we help Holocaust survivors, you can just log on to our website, www.betzedek.org. And yes, I do know that all those letters rhyme. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Shimika, I ask you a story, your final thoughts, and how can we find out more about you? This podcast was great because I believe that it symbolizes the private attorneys with public servants' hearts. That's our firm's slogan, and it's important because I believe there's a big misconception with lawyers being that most private attorneys are looking for monies only, and I believe that all three of us have done a great job letting people know that we're not just lawyers, but we're individuals who love to give back. So thank you so much for the opportunity. One way in which someone can get in contact with us is by logging on to their computer and typing in www.sagelawofficee.com. That's SAG Law Office. They can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at SAG 
SAG Law Office. Thank you. The private attorneys with public servants' hearts. I love that. Uh, Ricky Patel, you get the last word. Your final thoughts, and uh, how can our listeners find out more about what you folks do? Perfect. Thank you. I'd like to send this message out there, especially for a lot of the lawyers and future lawyers out there, is sometimes we're so wrapped up in the day-to-day motions, whatever it may be that's going on, that we don't take a second to just stop and realize how lucky we are to be in, number one, the greatest country in the whole world, uh, to be able to practice this great profession. And let's take just a little bit of our time out, no matter how busy we are, and find out how can we make the lives of even one person better. If we can do that, once again, this is a team effort. You know, the three of us can't fix everything. It requires everyone to pitch in. To find out a little bit more on how anyone can help, I'm always available. I'll give you my website. It's www.justice360.com. That's justice360.com. I'll always find time to help individuals come up with creative ways to give back and help others. And let's try and make this profession something that we're proud of and that people look at and see as a great profession. Well, we've been talking this show about lawyers giving back with three lawyers who are giving back. Uh, Jesse Kornberg, president and CEO of Bet Zedek in Los Angeles. Shamika askew Story, owner and managing attorney of the Story Advocacy Group in Brandon, Florida. And attorney Ricky Patel, partner with the firm Farrell Patel, Jomaran Lopez in Miami, Florida. Uh, Really honored to uh, have shared this time with each of you, and thanks for being with us, and thanks for all the good work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thanks to all of you for listening today. If you like what you heard on Lawyer to Lawyer, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. This is Bob Ambrosi on behalf of uh, Craig Williams and everybody at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.